Archiver, the A's in Kansas City, is made possible by a grant from the Missouri Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Hi, once again, everybody, from Municipal Stadium in Kansas City, where our Kansas City Athletics are all set to open the 1966 home season, weather permitting, and right now it looks as if the weather will be permitting. But I'll say this, the grounds crew of Kansas City has had one of its toughest tests, I guess, ever on this particular day, opener 1966. And our special guest tonight is the man who has been in charge of that grounds crew for a long, long time and has done such a great job in getting the park as ready as it can be gotten to play tonight, George Tolman. We'll be back to talk with George in just a moment. It's April 19, 1966, the night of the A's opener against the Minnesota Twins. It's a miserable night, 54 degrees and windy enough to bite under jackets and coats. A half inch of rain pounded Kansas City just three hours before the first pitch. But that doesn't stop George Toma, who would go on to be a groundskeeping superstar, from getting the playing field in perfect condition, making Municipal Stadium not just playable, but beautiful. The A's were always an awful baseball team, but Municipal Stadium, well, that was special to almost anyone who ever went. The podcast is Archiver, The A's in Kansas City, Episode 4, 22nd and Brooklyn Avenue. Me, I'm your host, Sam Zeff. Baseball in Kansas City was being played at 22nd and Brooklyn Avenue long before the A's arrived in 1955. The owner of the minor league Kansas City Blues built the single-deck park for $400,000 in 1923. It was called Muehlbach Field then, after Blues owner George E. Muehlbach, who also brewed beer and owned the fanciest hotel in downtown. While the park was built for the Blues, the dominant team who played there was the Negro League Monarchs. Three games of the first Colored World Series, as it was called at the time, were played there in 1924 when the Monarchs beat the Hillsdale Club five games to four. The park became Rupert Stadium in 1937, named after Yankee owner Colonel Jacob Rupert. After Rupert died, it was renamed Blue Stadium and remained so until the A's arrived. It was also around that time that Arnold Johnson bought the ballpark. Remember him? We met Johnson in our first episode. He was one of the architects of the sleazy backroom scheme the Yankees concocted to get the A's out of Philadelphia and to KC. And the Johnson-owned stadium at 22nd and Brooklyn was part of the plunder. It was no secret that this was an unholy alliance. Other club owners pointed this out in advance. It was written about in newspapers that this is not going to be a sale to an independent entity. This is going to be to someone who was essentially a cousin of the Yankees. That's Mitch Nathanson, our archiver Philadelphia sports expert who is a law professor at Villanova. The A's deal was cooked up by Dan Topping and Del Webb, owners of the Yankees. They knew, Nathanson says, if they finagled the club into the hands of Arnold Johnson, the Yankees would reap benefits on the field and in their bank account. That's how they got good in the first place. They took a lot of great Boston Red Sox players in the beginning of their dynasty, such as Babe Ruth, but also a lot of other players. And through the years, they would pick up players from franchises who were struggling, who needed cash, 
and they saw in Kansas City an opportunity to do this again because here's a guy, Arnold Johnson, who really is betrothed to them. If they can get him in place, they have basically a de facto farm club in Kansas City. That's why they push very hard to have the club sold from the Max to Johnson and move to Kansas City. The city sold bonds to put on an upper deck and pay Dell Webb. Working 24 hours a day, it was completed in just 90 days, expanding capacity from 17,000 to 30,000. They bought the old Boston Braves scoreboard. The Braves left for Milwaukee in 52, changed the name to Municipal Stadium, and hosted the first big league game on April 12, 1955. The battery that day for the A's? Alex Kellner on the mound, and Joe Astroff catching. In the stands, the mayors of both Kansas cities, the aging former A's owner Connie Mack, and my political hero Harry Truman. Astroth remembers the pregame ceremony. Well, being the, uh, the starting catcher on the club and the regular catcher, when you go to a celebrity thing or opening a new ballpark or anything else, it's all they always have some big celebrity to throw out the first ball. I had no idea that Harry Truman was in the stands, although he lived in Kansas City, Kansas there. And he always came to the games. And he and his wife and the uh, their bodyguards were there and everything else sitting up in the stands. So he came down and he threw the first ball to me. So I got the ball and it's customary. You go over to the stands and give the celebrity the ball that they threw out for their souvenir. Well, Sunday when we were out on the field warming up, the FBI guys come down and said, uh, uh, Mr. Truman would like to see you. And I said, oh, okay. So I, I go over the stands, and uh, so Harry came down, he gave me the ball. And he says, young man, I, uh, I'm giving you this ball, and I, I have autographed it, and I put the date on, and it was the 10th, date of his inaugural president and I thought well I got so flustered I didn't know whether to call him president or Harry <laughs> and, and so he gave me the ball I, and I took it and I didn't say anything to him but, the, but I told the guys when I went back that I told him I, I want Harry give me the ball <laughs> the A's beat Detroit 6-2 to in 2 hours 38 minutes an almost unbelievable game length today. Astroth was 0 for 1 but walked twice. The A's first home run was hit by center fielder Bill Wilson in the bottom of the eighth. The field, it was beautiful. I still remember walking to our seats right behind the A's dugout and thinking the grass was impossibly green. It was in the middle of the city, but it was bucolic. And there was an intimacy at Municipal Stadium, a closeness to the ballpark that you would never find today. David Starbuck's dad was an usher there. I was in a position, the old Municipal Stadium, when the ninth inning approached, the ushers were under directions. They would go down and kneel by the, by the front gate. And when the last out was made, the ushers would walk onto the field and they would ring, they would stand around the warning track and as soon as the players cleared the field, then the fans were allowed to walk out and leave the stadium by walking on the warning track. And I don't quite know why, but I got in the habit, uh, I would run on the field after my dad went out there. I had a head start, 
and I would run down in the A's dugout and there was always an extra copy of the manager's dug, uh, lineup cards. And I would grab those lineup cards off the, uh, the wall, not really realizing the, the uh, significance of those. So I have a very nice collection of, of uh, manager's lineup cards for both teams in the, uh, in the early 60s. Um, grabbed a lot of uh, broken baseball bats and uh, a lot of memorabilia that uh, at the time no one knew that uh, that was uh, valuable stuff. Right now, I want you to listen to a little play-by-play of the A's and Yankees in Municipal Stadium. It's not so much the action I want you to pay attention to, but how it sounds in between. This is George Bryson on KCMO in 1966. There's a high fly ball, short center field. Look out now, Mantle's got that baby in short center. There's the catch, Samoli starts, but he's gonna go back. Not too many times does Mantle throw out anybody, and the main reason is you don't run. That one was uh, impossible, really, because it was not too far back to second base. So now we have Causey at the plate. We have runners second and third. Wayne was out on a pop fly ball to Quebec in the first inning. Did you hear what the ballpark sounded like in between pitches? Jeff Logan from the Kansas City Baseball Historical Society can't explain it better than me. And if you listen to those games, and that's the beauty of listening to those games, you go, I remember that. I remember the silence. I remember people talking. I remember the players on the field talking. Uh, the ball being hit, the, all the, the beauty of baseball, where now you go to this stadium and it's pumped in music and you clap and scream, where you can't even hear. It, it's just all different. I wish people could, you know, and I get you're 20 years old, you go out to the Royal Stadium. That's what it is. I get it. I wish those people And it's not a bad experience. No, not at all. The Royals are as good as it gets, you know. They're, in, in my mind, you could put them in the top five for a baseball experience at a stadium. But you would put them in the bottom five from every team in the 1960. Just in my mind, from the real fill of baseball. You really felt the game. You sm- like you said, it's almost like you smelled the bats and the balls and, and everything going on and, and, and the people. And uh, just the the... the real noise of a baseball game, not noise that's given to us. Not that Municipal Stadium was boring. Oh, good golly, not by a long shot. When Charlie Finley, and he gets his own archiver episode, by the way, bought the team after Arnold Johnson suddenly died in 1960, he made both innovative and goofy changes to the ballpark. He had a rabbit pop up behind home plate that held baseballs for the umpire. And it seems Finley had an animal thing. He had Charlie O the mule. He put sheep beyond the outfield fences so he didn't have to mow the grass. Finley even had monkeys. And one night, says Jeff Logan, some players went out and gave them speed. And it made them crazy. They broke out and terrorized the neighborhood for about three weeks. Uh, vicious, vicious. You know, these are big monkeys. Chimpanzees are big monkeys like that. Yeah, yeah they're very big, strong. And, big monkeys with and wild yeah. tails. You know, those yeah. big kind of monkeys. Yeah. Until finally, they all disappeared. No one ever knows what happened to the monkeys. But Finley also did this. 
On September 17, 1964, he paid $150,000, a fortune at the time, for the Beatles to play just 32 minutes at Municipal Stadium. There's no real recording, of course, but they opened their set with Kansas City. It cost so much because the concert was unscheduled and the boys needed a ton of cash to give up a day off. While the Beatles were great and the sheep, mule, and monkeys were quirky, fact is there just weren't that many great baseball moments with the A's. And part of that, you can blame on the damn Yankees. I didn't know at the time, but Arnold Johnson owed Del Webb some favors and some money from some construction deals they were in together. So he was sort of a hostage to Del Webb. And whenever Del needed a ball player who looked good, he'd pick up the phone, call the athletic office, and get a ball player. We became a farm club for the New York Yankees. The hapless A's and the New York pipeline. That's our next episode of Archiver, the A's in Kansas City. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodap and Linda Haskins in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible with a grant from the Missouri Humanities Council. Archiver is produced with Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelan is executive producer, and with the Center for Midwestern Studies at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where Diane Moody Burke is director. My thanks to Jeff Logan and Mitch Nathanson for sharing their thoughts. There's some cool pics at our website, fountaincityfrequency.com. And make sure to subscribe to Archiver on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver. <laughs>